Think more of the verse in 1 John 4, verse 19, that we love because God first loved us. You can also see uh, this afternoon how that relates to Romans 9, verses 11 to 13. Though they were not yet born and had done neither or nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as believers we may sometimes wonder what made God decide to elect us to salvation. Was it because he knew that we would believe and then decided to save us? Or did he decide whom he would save first and then gave, give us everything we need to believe in him? When the canons of Dort, the confession we just read together, when that confession was written, both these views were being taught in the churches. And since it made a very big difference on what people thought about the sovereignty of God. Was, was God strong or was God weak? And it made a big difference on how much people had to do for their own salvation. Did they have to do something or nothing? A person's stand on this issue also affected how confident they would feel in their own salvation. The problem was that the debate actually centered around God's thoughts and considerations before ever anyone in the discussion was even born. When people started from their own experiences and tried to work backwards from there, they could easily come to all sorts of different conclusions. If you saw a person standing in front of you with faith in Jesus Christ, you couldn't just tell from looking at that person if God elected him because he had faith or if God elected him and then gave him faith afterwards. There was no way of knowing for sure what all took place before the world was made if a person was just using reason and the things that they could see. And so the church does what it always does to learn more about God. It went to the Bible. The only way we have to find out the truth about the role of faith, our faith, in our salvation is to turn to the Scriptures which God has given to us. Do they say anything about the basis of our election? Do the Scriptures teach that our salvation is based on our works and our ability to produce faith? Or... Do they teach that our salvation was determined by a decision that God made in the full knowledge that no one on the earth after the fall into sin could choose to, to, to believe in him? Now as we think about the passages we just read and several other texts of scripture that we will look at this afternoon, we can see why we confess that God acted independently in electing some people to salvation, and that there was nothing in the people he decided to save that influenced his decision. God doesn't wait for sinners who are dead in their sins to produce faith, neither today nor before he made the world. Just like you 
wouldn't wait around for dry, scattered, and mixed bones filling a valley to produce flesh and sinews and breath and life. As human beings who are by nature inclined to hate God and our neighbor, we cannot take any credit for any part of our salvation. And this is the most wonderful and most assuring news that we can ever hear. And I preach to you the gospel under that theme, we love because God first loved us. He loved us before we had done either good or bad, because he wanted to, and so we can be assured by our love. Well, the first clear proof of the order of God's work in bringing salvation to undeserving sinners can be found in Romans 9. In this chapter of the Scriptures, the Apostle is explaining that although all the Israelites shared in the privileges of being chosen people of God, not all the Israelites were saved. The Old Testament showed that just being born in the line of someone whom God had chosen to salvation was not enough if they didn't also believe the promises of God. Abraham had two children named Ishmael and Isaac. Both these boys called Abraham their dad. And both of them could call themselves a physical descendant of the chosen Abraham. But the Lord only chose Isaac, who was born of Sarah, to carry on the line of the promised Messiah. We can read about that in Genesis. It was God's choice that determined Isaac's life, and not the fact that both of them could call Abraham their father. Being a son of Abraham by birth did not give an advantage to anyone in God's saving plan. And the same was true for all Abraham's descendants. Paul says that God simply counted the children of the promise as Abraham's offspring to make it very clear that God did not consider who our ancestors were when he elected people to salvation. We also see that God didn't consider birth order as a condition for electing someone to salvation when he revealed his plan to Isaac's family, told Rebekah, the older shall serve the younger. And finally, in the same passage, we see that since God chose Jacob before either of the twins had done anything, good or bad, we can also see that faith or the works that people do are not conditions for election. And we sum it all up, we could say that these verses make it very clear that there was nothing in people whom God knew before they were even born that influenced his decision to elect some to salvation. The different behavior of the two sons, the way they responded to God's promises, these were not the basis of God's election. The Lord didn't see anything different in Isaac or Jacob, who were sinners like everyone else, when he decided that he would use them in his plan of salvation. But these children were born at that time and that place because of God's eternal plan, his purpose of election. In Ezekiel's vision, all the dry, scattered bones in the valley looked the same 
as any other dry, exposed bones in the world before God acted to bring life just to those in the valley. You see then, the person who is chosen by God can never think that they are more worthy than those who are not chosen. It's a reason for much humility. Now, many people argue that faith or some other quality or action is a condition that God considered when he decided to save some people. The Scriptures teach that God chose certain persons unconditionally. He didn't have a list of things they had to fulfill before he decided that they would be saved. And then after choosing them, he gave them everything they needed for salvation, including, as we confess, faith in Jesus Christ, holiness, and other saving gifts. If you compare it to a fountain, the Bible explains that election is like the source of the water, and faith and holiness of believers that you can see in your life is the water that comes out of the source. Election is not the fruit of our faith, but faith is the fruit of election. We are not rewarded with election for persevering in our faith, but our persevering faith is a result of God's divine election. And so Ephesians 2 verse 8 teaches us very clearly that we can't take credit for our faith. Even our faith is a gift of God. And in Romans 11, verses 5 and 6, Paul explains that the remnant is chosen by grace. So it is no longer on the basis of works. And then Paul says, otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. The only reason that the Scriptures give for God's decision to choose Jacob and not Esau for the task of carrying out his plan of salvation is stated in Romans 9, verse 11. If you look at that, you can see the reasoning behind it. In order that God's purpose of election might continue. And then Romans 9, verse 11 goes on to explain, not because of works, but because of him who calls. The choice looks the way it does because of him. As our Lord says in John 15, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit shall abide. The Holy Spirit explains this also in Ephesians 1, verse 4, when he says that God chose us not because we were, but that we should be holy and blameless. So why then did God decide to choose you, dear believer? What, what is the basis of his choice? Why are you here today? You see that God first loved us because he wanted to. Now it seems a little awkward to study the scriptures to see if God ever did tell us about something that served as the basis for election. We know it's not because of works, and we know that God is sovereign. The very question, it makes us aware of, of how small we are, how, how limited in our understanding. 
We remember how God, the Almighty God, He spoke to, to little Job out of the thunderstorm. And then Job's reaction of humble confession, saying, I, I uttered what I did not understand. I spoke without understanding. Or we think of Paul's questions, and if you flip the page in your Bible, you can see them at the end of chapter 11. Verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? And before that, in the verses before that, in verse 33, you see that reference to the riches and the wisdom, the knowledge of God, which are profound. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable or beyond searching out. And then it ends, this chapter ends, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. It's then with great joy and thankfulness, knowing that God does not owe us an explanation that we, we find in Romans 9, that there is still an explanation that comes from the Lord. He says, not because of your works, but because of Him who calls. Romans 9 verse 11 simply states, you were chosen because this was God's purpose in election. Although there was nothing in you that obligated God to choose you, it also was not an arbitrary or an open-ended decision. Ephesians speaks of the same thing, connecting God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him to the mystery of His will. The reason these texts give for for election is that it was God's will to run the universe according to a particular plan to achieve a specific purpose. That's what we state in Article 10. The cause of this gracious election is solely the good pleasure of God. The words good pleasure basically are a way of saying because that's what God wanted. You are chosen because that's what God wanted. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 explains that God saved us and called us to a holy calling because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. That's a very nice way to explain why God chose you as a believer. It was His purpose and His grace. The Scriptures describe this manifestation of God's purpose and grace with the word love. Romans 9 verse 13 quotes Malachi 1 verse 2 to 3 to say, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The reason that Jacob was chosen was because God, in his own infinite wise, with his own infinite wise reasons, looked at Joseph differently than he looked at Esau. Esau was rejected for the task God had. That's probably the sense of the word hate in this context. But Jacob was loved. God's election is closely connected to his love. And so we can read in Ephesians 1 verse 4, In love he predestined us for adoption. In Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God's love for us that flowed out of His purpose and His grace brought Him to do everything we needed for our salvation. And so we read in 1 John 4, verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loves us. And when we ask, well, why? Why does He love me? The Lord reveals that He loves us because He wants to love us. That's the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus that we read about in Ephesians 2, verse 7. And then we see how secure we may feel in God's love. The most wise, unchangeable, and almighty God who's responsible for the election of His children in love ensures us that His choice can never be undone or redone or changed, revoked or annulled. What that's saying, that's Article 11, what that's saying is, is if God wants something, if God wants to love us, then God will have it. God wants something, He will have it. There's a, a connection. And once a person is chosen by name before the foundation of the world, there's, there's nothing in all the world that can separate that person from the love of God shown to him in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul ended Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from his love. The elect cannot be cast away, nor their number diminished. And so we can be sure that if we are chosen by God, He will also help us to, to live in that faith and to be certain that we are chosen. We can be assured by the very love that we have in our hearts. The people that God chose to salvation in Christ will necessarily show evidence of God's eternal decree concerning their lives because there are unfailing fruits of election. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because God first loved us. Love is a fruit of God's love. God elects people both to salvation and to the way of salvation. So, so now you can look at yourself... And if you see in yourself true faith in Jesus Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for sins, and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, for holy living, those, those are the marks of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus reveals in the Sermon on the Mount. If you see those things, that's evidence of your election. It's evidence that God chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Now we confess that this assurance comes to people in various stages and in different measures so that we may remain certain of God's love 
even though our experiences may be very different from the experiences of other people we know. And, and we confess this so that we don't become filled with doubt and worry because somebody else is more certain or certain at a different time than, than we are. Some people will not be sure that God loved them until they are very old because it will take them that long to truly love God and their neighbor as themselves. While others may be blessed to see this love that they're showing to others also very early in their lives. Sometimes our certainty of God's grace and salvation comes in stages as a feeling that grows progressively stronger or as, as a certainty that increases as we experience the comfort of God's nearness in different situations in our lives. Sometimes the certainty of faith doesn't ever get very strong in our life due to many other complications. And sometimes we experience certainty of God's hand holding us because of the complications. What the Lord reveals is that everyone who is elect will have that certainty through seeing the love in their own lives. Now what's important to understand is that whenever we do come across that, we, we do feel that assurance of our election, you can be very sure that that assurance won't be a result of finally understanding the hidden and deep things of God. You see, our assurance is not based on our ability to explain God's thoughts. Our assurance doesn't come because we can justify God's sovereign decisions in our own minds. Our assurance does not come from finding that perfect explanation of the Scriptures and of God's plan which finally satisfies our curiosity about why God did this or why God let that happen or why He didn't grant this prayer. But rather, our assurance comes from seeing the fruit of election in our own hearts and lives. This love that springs up in our hearts because He loved us in the beginning. It's the best assurance of election we can have. And so, brothers and sisters, we can be certain of God's election, that we have been chosen by God. Now, there are people who are worried about what will happen if the elect of God learn about their election to salvation before they die, and then they live each day in the confidence that God loves them with an everlasting love. They, they're, they're thinking, they look at this, they go, well, if the elect know about their election, won't they just stop trying to live in fellowship with God? They, they ask, why should I keep bothering to keep the commandments, giving my money to the Lord, depriving myself of sinful pleasures, if none of these things could stop me from getting into heaven. As you think about that, I think you'd agree with me, I hope they don't talk to their husbands or their wives the same way. Can, can you imagine? Hey dear, since you said that you would never stop loving me no matter what, and I don't have to worry about you divorcing me, I'm going to do a bunch of unkind things to you. The very thought that the elect 
would want to persist in betraying the Lord, their Savior, and their King, it's just ridiculous. We may be confident and assured and live a very holy life. And since the fruits of election include a godly sorrow for sins and a hunger and thirst for righteousness, it can never happen that the actual elect will ever use the teaching of divine election to justify their own carelessness and wickedness. The only ones we confess who might try that are those who have not been elected and who do not have faith and who do not have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. You see, false security, a laxity in, in obeying, observing the commandments. A laxity means like a, a not striving to obey the commandments. Rashly presuming election, idly and boldly chattering about election, those are not fruits of election. If a person refuses to walk in the ways of the elect, that person can only receive assurance of election if he is sorry for his sins, if he once again repents and pursues holiness. The elect are not sinless, nor are they never careless and wicked. But the elect always confess their sins, repent and turn back to the Lord. When you are aware of God's decree to elect you, and you have seen the fruit of this election that gives you such an assurance, it doesn't make you proud and rebellious or more sinful, but rather humble before God, eager, more eager to follow Jesus Christ as your King. And so, brothers and sisters, as we think about this big picture of how we got to be here today, how, what God has done in our lives, we can see, if you love God, and if you want to serve Him, you could take heart, because this is not your own doing, but it is the work of our Father in heaven. Even though you were and are equally deserving of eternal condemnation, just, as, just like any other human being on this earth, not any better than anyone else, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can know that the Lord named you as His adopted child before the foundation of the world. And then after you had been born, He, he gave you faith in Jesus Christ. He gave you the desire to be obedient. He gave you the desire to live a holy life. And He gave you a constant willingness to confess your sins before Him and find forgiveness in Christ. And so in this knowledge, you can rejoice together with the apostles that Jesus sent out one time. We read about it in Luke 10. He told them, rejoice. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We may be confident of our election because it is an unconditional election that's made visible to us by the fruit of faith and love and hope. If you love God and love your neighbor as yourself, if you believe that Jesus Christ came into the world and died on a cross to pay for your sins, and if you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your desire to glorify God with all that you do, then you may join in with us all singing 
the words of Romans 8, verses 31 to 39, with the confidence. And you can know they're true for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. What a joy to sing about our assurance and know that it's true. Amen. Let's now stand and sing Romans 1 verses 8, or sorry, Romans 8 verses 31 to 39 as it's put to music in hymn 35. And we sing as those, as believers in Jesus Christ, saved by the work of Jesus Christ, confident in God's mercy and grace to us. Hymn 35, standing if you're able to stand.